This is ASHA Voices, I'm JD Gray. On this episode, we're discussing the lived experiences of people who stutter and the effect culture can play in the presentation, assessment, and treatment of a person who stutters. Today's first guest speaks and writes about the role of cultural responsiveness when working with people who stutter, a matter she notes is particularly relevant for school-based SLPs. She shares why teaching self-disclosure techniques can be critical and what to do if you're asked to use an assessment that you don't think is culturally appropriate for your students. Later in the episode, we'll hear from a future SLP who's using his podcast to create a space for vulnerable conversations about the experience of being a person who stutters. I'm JD Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Get unlimited access to ASHA's catalog of CE courses for one annual fee. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. Joining me is Kia Noel Johnson. Kia is the Associate Director of the Arthur M. Blank Center for Stuttering Education and Research Satellite in Atlanta, Georgia, a part of the University of Texas at Austin. And she's a former member of the ASHA Board of Directors, past National Advisor to the National Student Speech Language Hearing Association, and she's currently the Chair of the Board of Directors for the National Black Association for Speech Language and Hearing. Kia speaks and writes on the importance of cultural responsiveness when working with people who stutter, including as a part of the 2023 ASHA Schools Connect Conference. When I think of speech language pathology and culturally responsive practice, my mind goes to episodes of this podcast discussing language variations and dialect. But in Kia's writing and presentations, she's saying, don't overlook the role of cultural responsiveness when working with people who stutter. Yes, absolutely. I, I think in our profession, in our curriculum, we are taught as students to think about cultural responsiveness and language and our tick and uh, dialect and things of that nature, but we really don't look at stuttering. And so my presentation really includes factors that speech language pathologists should consider because there are a lot of characteristics that can overlap between what we are traditionally taught with stuttering and what we can see when it comes to characteristics that are related to different cultural identities. Why does it seem that the influence of culture on stuttering presentation, assessment, and treatment may be discussed less than other aspects of speech-language pathology? For me, I think it's just easy. It makes sense with language. When you're thinking about language, vocabulary, differences that you may see based on region. When we think about pronunciation, it makes sense. Stuttering, traditionally, we thought, well, everyone just stutters. But there are characteristics with stuttering that can also be present in individuals who don't stutter. When you think about a lack of eye contact, that can be culturally related. But that's also something we're traditionally taught that people who stutter do. There are factors that we really need to think about when we're doing the assessment, especially thinking that developmental stuttering is a diagnosis that usually is most commonly seen in our younger kids. Uh, so school-based SLPs really have to be ready and positioned to recognize that the kids who I see and assessing for stuttering, I need to know their cultural identity or identities so that I can provide culturally responsive assessments to make sure that the diagnosis I am ending up with, whether it be stuttering or not, is recognizing whether or not that diagnosis is is accurate to what the child is presenting with. 
I really like the example of eye contact that you used because it exemplifies that what you're saying is it's not just that culture can show up in the presentation of a stutter, but also maybe in the presentation of kids who you wouldn't say have a stutter. Yes. So going back to the example of eye contact, in some cultures, it could be uh, inappropriate for a child to look an elder or an adult in the eye. Or in some cultures, when you think of eye contact across genders, but we know in stuttering, as a person becomes more concerned and had negative experiences with stuttering, you could see that portrayed in their lack of eye contact. There is a common assessment tool that's commonly used in public schools to determine whether or not a child qualifies for services. One of the components is eye contact. But I'm going, what if that child or individual is from a culture where eye contact is not something that is common with a stranger or with a, someone who's considered a superior or, or, or elder? If we think of things like changing words and traditionally in stuttering, we're taught that if the person is changing words, that can be an indicator of concern. They think they're going to start on the word. They're fearful of that word coming up. So they switch the word. But we also know in kids who are language learners, they could switch the word because they just don't know the word in that language, or they're more comfortable saying the word in a particular language. It is our job as a speech language pathologist to determine, for example, if that word changing is a result of stuttering, or if it's a result of something culturally based where maybe they're learning multiple languages. It is not the kid's job or the family's job to educate us on the difference. It's our job to educate ourselves on whether or not what we see is what we see. If an SLP were using a standardized assessment that they felt could have a conflict in it with the with culture, like like the example you just gave, what might you recommend to that SLP to how to address that discrepancy? That is a great question because SLPs will ask, if my school district or the place I work requires this particular assessment tool, what do I do? And I will always suggest, go ahead, give the assessment that's required. And then you add a sentence that says something like, please note that, however, based on the cultural identities of John Doe, this assessment tool would not be culturally appropriate. Results should be interpreted with extreme caution. Putting that disclaimer in there communicates to whomever gets that report that they may need to think twice about the results. Getting into cultural humility where we're trying to then change the system, maybe that SLP can get with other SLPs and provide the evidence to this district to say we may need to rethink the tools that we're using to qualify or disqualify someone for stuttering services. I will go over assessment tools and I'm comfortable with saying which assessment tools that I, I, based on the manual, based on how it's created, tend to be more culturally sensitive or responsible uh, than others. But I also say this, we need to recognize, is the tool required or has a tool just traditionally always been used, but it's not required? There are a lot of times you're in a situation where it's, we've always done it this way. We've always given that tool. 
I know it really well. I don't know the newer tools. That is where our ethics comes into play, our our ability to provide the best services to our child. So if you're in a place that doesn't require the tools that I will touch on, then don't give them. Mm -hmm. This is like you were saying before, it's not the child's responsibility to change those tools. Yes, yes, we we are the trained professional. I know it sounds cliche, but continuing education units, we are the ones that should be continuously educating ourselves and updating our knowledge base on on everything, including uh, stuttering and assessment and even treatment. Uh, One of the things that I'm very proud of is that where I'm at at the Blank Center for Stuttering Education and Research, we provide treatment in a way that is culturally responsive, you know, that really takes into account communication. We call it the CARE model. CARE stands for Communication, Advocacy, Resiliency, and Education, we make sure that we're able to address those cultural differences within that model so that every person, kid, teen, adult who stutters is getting services or getting treatment to address stuttering that's tailored to them. One thing you know, one of the reasons I got into stuttering is because even though you may have uh, multiple individuals with the same diagnosis of stuttering, how it presents is different. Their journey as individuals who stutter, that journey is different. Their experiences are different. And their experiences in their journey, a lot of that is built upon their cultural identities. And so I love being able to see kids all who stutter, but they're all different. And, and, and that's what I love. You're talking about different journeys that people take. And a part of what we're talking about, too, is is checking for bias and exercising empathy. I'm wondering if there are some life experiences that SOBs should be considering when working, you know, let's say they're in the schools, working with kids who stutter. Could you walk us through maybe an example? Yes. So it makes me think about intersectionality when it comes to stuttering. We have to think about, as a person who stutters, what is the perception, the stereotypes, the biases that society places on an individual who stutters? So I'm going to speak this example specifically to school-based SLPs. If we think about stereotypes of some of our students based on their cultural makeup, and then we add that to the stereotypes and biases that come with being a child who stutters, that student is coming into your caseload with that particular makeup. So the clinician has to be thinking, my treatment needs to consider not only the biases that this child is coming in with, maybe as a Black male student in the public school system, but he's also having that added layer of being a person who stutters. So now we have a Black male student who stutters. And so a great example, we know if we look at education research, Black male students, they're more often uh, disciplined for the same behaviors that their non-Black male uh, counterparts may be doing. So then you add that layer of stuttering. So what stereotypes and perceptions may their classmates have about them or their teachers or the or even the speech pathologist? And being mindful of that, that, that makes you culturally responsive. We have to tailor our support towards who's coming in the door. So for example, like I talk about the care model, 
a big factor of what we do is self-disclosure. It's going to be very important that I start day one, hitting the ground running with teaching that child the importance of self-disclosing to other individuals. Hey, I'm a kid who stutters. One, research says it helps to make them feel comfortable. It helps the listener feel comfortable. But I also think it helps to combat some of those biases that the audience or their people in their environment may be placing on them. Oh, you know, he knows he's a kid who stutters. He's educating the people around him about what stuttering is. And it helps to dispel some of those myths that are out there floating around. Mm -hmm. I believe on the first episode of this podcast, we spoke with... Uh, SLP. And one of the things she talked about with regards to self-disclosure was in a traffic stop. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because thinking about intersectionality and different experiences, we know that if you think about society and the perception of Black males when it comes to law enforcement and everything that's going on in our society, we already know that level of anxiety or discomfort fearfulness most likely will be present in interactions that you may have, but then you add that level of stuttering on top of it. You know, if you think about, and I've done the research on this, in law enforcement, stuttering is often seen as deception, uh, seen as you're hiding something, you're lying about something, but it could be that the person is just stuttering. So it's going to be imperative that the clinician is working on self-disclosing upfront. Hi, I'm a person who stutters. I repeat words and sounds. And that could be critical to a child on your caseload who stutters. That could mean the difference between, and I, I, I'm open transparent with saying it, it could be the difference between an arrest or not getting arrested, you know, making it home or not making it home. That's where equity comes in play. So that would be giving treatment to that Black male student or teenager or young adult or adult who stutters, that's going to help them be successful. Self-disclosure is important for everyone, but it's going to be critical for some individuals more than others. Q goes on to say another part of the care model and culturally responsive care includes preparing people who stutter in case they encounter stereotyping or negative interactions. How can we as clinicians pour into that child who stutters. So when they have a negative experience, they're able to bounce back and look at themselves and say, that negative experience doesn't define me. I define me. I am important. What I have to say is important. I can live and think and do and say whatever I want to say. That one experience is not going to knock me down. This reminded me of when Kia was discussing resiliency earlier in our conversation, and it brought to mind her 2023 Asha Schools Connect presentation. The description for that presentation says that Kia would include, quote, innovative stuttering treatment strategies that target communication excellence, self-advocacy, resilience, and stuttering education to reduce the overall negative impact on the lives of children who stutter, end quote. It jumped out to me, self-advocacy, resiliency, reducing the overall negative impact, not avoiding a stutter, but avoiding the overall negative impact. I commented to her that this seems to be in line with a recent trend among those working with people who stutter. Yes, it's a very exciting shift that's happening in the stuttering community. And I am very fortunate to be, you know, our team at the Blank Center, 
we've been doing research in this area for 20 plus years and including kids, teens and adults in the states, outside of the states, um, and really recognize that stuttering, we say it's a neurophysiological difference. We need to get away from thinking of it as something that is disordered or broken that needs to be fixed. To us, fixing it is having that individual recognize that what they have to say is important, whether it's fluent or stuttered. If you stutter and you say exactly what you want to say, the question is, did you say what you wanted to say? And that is the shift that I feel like our research is motivating because we don't focus on fluency. If you send the message, if you do these things, you just do these strategies, these techniques, you will be fluent. But we know from the research that's out there, you can do all of those strategies and techniques and you will still stutter. At a certain point, if you are still stuttering, we know that natural recovery exists and that a percentage of kids who start to stutter, it will naturally resolve or um, recover. They'll recover from it. But we know there is a huge percentage that won't. And those are the individuals that are told, do these strategies, do these techniques. But then when they continue to stutter, it sends a message to that person, why didn't this work for me? Why didn't this work? And to the parents or their um, partners or caregivers, what am I doing wrong that is causing this person to continue to, even the SLP, you know, maybe I didn't teach the techniques right. Sometimes the message is sent to the person who stutters, you're not trying hard enough. Mm. That is not only devastating, but it's not accurate. We know that even you can master those techniques, those strategies, you're going to still stutter. So instead, what we suggest is shifting all of that energy towards being the best communicator that you can be. How do you go into a room and communicate what your message is to everyone? How can you make sure you have good eye contact and your message is organized in a way that communicates the intent? How can you self-disclose in front of an audience and be resilient and know the facts about stuttering. So we prefer that. And what we see in our research is that that individual all the way down to younger kids or three-year-olds, their outlook on themselves as a person who stutters is different. They see themselves as a person who has a characteristic of stuttering, but the stuttering doesn't overwhelm them. The stuttering doesn't define them. It's a part of who they are, but it doesn't stop them from doing what they want to do. And I feel like if kids have that starting out early on, they will mature into adults who will have a different outlook on life as a person who stutters compared to the more traditional treatment approaches where the goal is fluency. Kia, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I get excited about this. So thank you for the opportunity. Kia wanted to highlight a couple of specific Blank Center programs connecting people who stutter. They're called His Story and Her Story. Kia says many young people tell her they've never met another person who stutters. And this is how she addresses that. His Story and Her Story allow for black teenagers who stutter to speak with each other and to see and speak with black adults who stutter. I truly believe individuals are successful when they can see themselves in that 
success or see themselves in their goal and their vision. So me as a speech pathologist, I, if, when I was a student, being able to see successful Black speech language pathologists, that helped me know this is possible. Same thing goes with stuttering. You know, Black boys being able to see other Black boys and uh, Black men who stutter, that helps them know, you know, I'm going to be okay because that Black man I met who stutters is doing some amazing things. And that is how we build community and provide culturally responsive care in stuttering. Kia spoke as a part of the 2023 ASHA Schools Connect Conference, and although the in-person event is over, the online conference begins soon. The ASHA Schools Connect 2023 online conference runs from July 26th to August 7th. Find details, including information about registration, on the blog post for this episode at on.asha.org podcast. The conversation on representation and visibility continues in just a moment when I speak with a podcast host who is using the platform to create visibility and provide a place for vulnerable conversations about the experiences of people who stutter. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass, earn ASHA CEUs, and stay current with the ASHA Learning Pass by accessing ASHA's comprehensive catalog of CE courses for one convenient annual fee. Choose from more than 700 courses on topics important to you. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. Our next guest is Vondell Pilcher. Vondell is a future SLP who will be a grad student studying CSD in the fall. Earlier this year, Vondell released a conversation about his experience as a person who stutters on YouTube with his co-host, Antoine Albert. The duo discusses their experiences growing up as people who stutter, and the Beyond the Stutter podcast made a splash. The co-hosts were interviewed by the NBC Bay Area News Affiliate this spring. You can read about that on the Ash Leader website. Vondell joins us now. Welcome to Asha Voices. Nice. Thank you for having me. Earlier in this episode, I spoke with Kia Noel Johnson about cultural responsiveness and stuttering. She discussed the importance of representation. You've been open about your experiences growing up as a person who stutters, and I wanted to speak with you about some of those experiences. I think it's important to include the perspectives of people who stutter in conversations about people who stutter, and so I suppose that may have been your goal with your podcast as well. Yes, for sure. You know, stuttering is uh, it's hard, you know, so I think Definitely, you know, starting my podcast, you know, kind of with my podcast kind of ties into my personal experiences and with the podcast, you know, I really wanted to be able to, you know, motivate, inspire and educate and also share experiences, but even create that safe place for those who do stutter because, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just very difficult, you know, when you have a stutter and there's so many thoughts that could go through your head as a young kid growing up, you know, in Alaska and not really being around people who look like you a lot. It's just, it's, it's just really difficult, you know, being a young black male, going to a school where it's, pre- where it's predominantly white people. And so it was hard for me to be able to navigate relationships, not saying it was all them at all. I think I just grew up with a stutter that I did not know how to handle or how to deal with. And so, you know, being laughed at, getting made fun of, yeah, it was just, it was just it was just really difficult, you know, as a young kid. And so I think as I got older, that that inse- that insecurity and that fear grew. Um, it grew more until it came to realization, you know, man, I think I should really own this. Have to deal, have to learn how to really handle handle and be able to man. How do I start to um, overcome my speech instead of letting it just hinder me and playing victim? So. 
I hear you talking about being a young black man in Alaska and also a person who stutters. That's something that Keen and I discussed as well as kind of intersectionality, that those two things might be a different experience than maybe someone who stutters who's, uh, you know, you said it was a predominantly white school. So it might be a different experience for a, a white student. For sure. Yeah, and I think just, you know, you know, someone who do stutters, right? And, uh, you know, we're, we're very vulnerable when you're in instances where, where, you know, I wouldn't say like in a school system, but, you know, being young and also being black, you know, there are a lot of, in, in, you, know, in a, you know, preconceived notions of some students are not, or, or, you know, people who stutter, it could, you know, we could be looked down on of like, man, we're not capable enough or we're not smart enough or we're not, or we can't speak enough. And so on top of the cultural aspect, but even with having a stutter, it's kind of like a, a, a double whammy, you know, in the sense of like, um, it's, it's, it's hard on both sides of culturally and when it comes to speaking, because speaking that, I mean, that enables you or it can show you where it can show, are you educated enough? Do you understand enough? Can you speak good enough? And so I think we're, I think you, you can be measured by how you sound with, man, are you just not educated or are you not, or are you just not enough? And so I think, you know, growing up, I think I faced that a lot of those, um, those, those circumstances. And as I got older, you know, I had to really learn like, okay, like it's not even about the people. So, okay, what can I control? How can I really respond to this in a way that I'm able to get through this, but also be able to share my experiences and also bring up other people that are not only just African-American, but even others, others that stutter as well and help them navigate through their stuttering so they can feel loved, feel free, and also be able to feel accepted. Because when you stutter, you know, a lot, you have a lot of, it's hard, you know, being able to have that confidence, um, being able to try to change behaviors that you're so accustomed to and breaking patterns that you've probably never been able to work on in your life when it comes to speaking in a voice that you have that matters so much to you. And so um, even with stuttering, right, like there's points in my life w- w- where I wanted to quit speaking. I wanted to stop talking because I just wasn't feeling hurt enough or I didn't think I had a voice. In our conversation, Vondell acknowledges the pain stuttering can cause, but says it can also bring the best out of someone. He says it can help them become someone who can make a difference and can change other people's lives. Yeah, you know, like on my podcast, you know, me and Antoine, me and Antoine were best friends. You know, we're, you know I met Antoine when I first came to California. Um, you know, that was about like six years ago. He was actually the first person I met who stutters. And, you know, on our podcast, I mean, I mean we share, we share vulnerably because I think in the world, you know, we don't like to really, I mean, I think the world can teach us like, oh, you know, you can't share emotions. You can't share your thoughts. You can't share your feelings. And so, I've had to learn that actually the way you actually receive, you know, you know, that's not even, not even a sense of receiving, but for, from an internal aspect, you know, when you start to actually admit truths about how you really feel, what you feel about yourself, that's where you actually begin to start freedom. And so with our podcast, we talk vulnerably about our experiences. You know, there's times where, you know, we can be in dark places, you know, like even the other day, I was telling my fiance the other day, I was like, hey, like, like, hey, I'm starting to understand that my stuttering is starting to get a, a little bit worse today. Uh, I need you to be patient with me. I'm not saying she's not patient, but I can get in modes where I'm angry, where I can't speak. There's days where I'm angry like that, or I don't feel like I'm good enough, or that I won't be good enough, or 
you know, if I'm stutter, I can't achieve my dreams or that maybe someone won't accept me because I stutter. So on my podcast, man, we just we are just real and honest about how we feel about our stutter. But not only are we just sharing the negatives, man, we share the the inspiration, but the positivity of like, man, when you choose to actually be in the light and be honest about how you feel about your speech, that's what also inspires other people is, is the realness, is the honesty. And I think, you know, the beauty of the honesty on our podcast is really what's, what, I mean, that's something that me and Antoine practice is, is, is also us being honest with our feelings and our emotions, because that's, that's where it starts. You start to really, you know, gain that freedom when you actually are starting to share what's on your mind and, and sharing what's on your mind is hard. Vondel Pilcher, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thank you so much. Fundell starts grad school at San Jose State this fall. On becoming an SLP after graduation, he says he can't wait till the day where he's able to help change somebody's life. When I introduced Vondell, I mentioned an article about him that is featured on the ASHA Leader website. Find that at leader.pubs.asha.org. Find more resources and episodes of this podcast about stuttering. That's at on.asha.org slash podcast. While you're there, you'll find more information on stuttering, including a link to the ASHA practice portal page about fluency and a link to learn more about ASHA's special interest group four, which focuses on fluency and fluency disorders. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader Magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Access more than 1,350 hours of ASHA CE content for one annual fee. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.